Welcome everyone to the Unrelated Brothers Podcast, where there's something for everyone. Today, today is a great day. I've been waiting for this podcast ever since we discussed doing it. It's very special to me, special to my heart. Devon, tell these listeners what we have in store today. So uh, today we are going to take a step into your world. Uh, I know next to almost absolutely nothing about this topic, which is disc golf. And uh, you're going you're gonna to give us a little you know, class on it. I, I, I thought it's really interesting. I think it's something that you know, a lot of people would enjoy based on the things you've told me. And um, we're doing something a little special, something a little different. And we're going to have a guest on today as well. So um, if you want to get us started. Yes. So today, like Devon said, we brought in a special guest for this one episode. It's somebody who I started playing disc golf with. And it's my good friend, Rodney Travis. Rodney, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Josh and Devin. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, getting us started uh, as um, a greenhorn in the field, so to speak, um, what made you even want to play disc golf? What brought you to disc golf? Where did you find out about disc golf? That's actually a very interesting topic. I was always looking for sports and activities to do once I got out of the military. I'm a disabled veteran, and due to my disabilities, it's hard for me to play traditional sports anymore. And ball golf, which I played ball golf in college, loved it. It just got really, really cumbersome and expensive. And they happened to build a disc golf course here in our hometown. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll go give that a try. It doesn't look like it's, it'd be too painful on me. And it just real quick into. here. So, uh, what is that? Uh, what, what is ball golf, by the way? Cause I'm not familiar with that one either. So disc golfers affectionately refer to ball golf as regular golf with clubs and balls that you play like your local country club. Mm-hmm. And we differentiate that from what we do, which is called disc golf, which has similar rules. Only we throw modified Frisbees. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas ball golfers like the tiger woods of the world, they use clubs and hit a round golf ball and try to get it into a hole. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, which, you know, by the way, thank you for your service. We want to fit that in there as well too. So, um, but, but yeah, continue on. So I know. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was gonna let them know how I started, but you can go ahead and finish up. Uh, finish yours up. Well, I just happened to see that they built it across. You know, I live less than a mile from our park, and I was coaching the high school baseball team at the time. Saw them installing the course, kind of piqued my interest, and thought I'd go give it a shot. And I was absolutely terrible at You're it. You're technically right-handed, but. Sh- you throw left-handed, right? That's correct. Yeah. So my backstory on how I actually started with disc golf was, again, we're from the same place, Rodney and I. So course got put in. I knew about it. I just thought it was like a family wreck kind of sport. Like you take your family out and just something you do on the weekends or so on. And then our buddy at work, James Sinkovich, he's like, hey, won't you come throw this try this disc golf he's made my wife's been doing it so i was like oh, okay sure so had nothing to do one afternoon we went out there he gave me the driver which is a faster 
more made for long distance. And uh, I was like, I'm going to rip into this. I'm going to drive the basket. And there's actually a tree that hangs over the tee pad on hole number one. And I threw it as high into that tree as I could and realized quickly that this sport is a lot harder than I thought it was. And so that is how I got my first experience with disc golf. But I decided to keep trying it and uh, stuck with it. And now, I love uh... it. Now, is that something kind of in that case where you realize that, okay, it's a little bit more difficult than I thought and stuff. There's a little more to it. You kind of were like, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, this will be a little bit more fun than I thought too. You know, like some, sometimes the more simplistic uh, type of things you run into are, are, are quickly not as fun because of the, you know, the simple nature that, you know, some things that are simple are, you know, easy. Is that is that kind of what happened? You know, you realize it was a little bit more difficult and you go, oh, man, this might be worth my time, you know, to, to, to invest some time in and, and to try, uh, excuse me, and to try to become better at. Yeah, I, I mean, was- yeah, and we again, I also played ball golf before I played disc golf as well. So I started to get on YouTube and, you know, learn that there is actually form with it. And I did not know that. Whereas I had experience playing ultimate Frisbee. We use that for uh, physical training in the military quite often, which you'd actually throw like a beach Frisbee that you would throw with your kids, you know, out at the park or whatever. And I got really good at throwing those pretty far. So I came into disc golf thinking I'm going to be able to crush this just like Josh had said. And then you find out really quickly that the discs are nothing the same. They're a lot heavier. They're beveled edge and they cut through the wind. And there's all kinds of form involved that you would have never considered going into it blind. Well, and that's what I was going to say is uh, that it's kind of funny because so see, I've never played disc golf, but I have seen uh, so the the park that uh, or at least one of the parks in my town and, you know, Josh has made me aware, too, that. Uh, one even in the next town over is one of the larger courses uh, or one of the nicer courses and so like I mean I'm, I'm familiar with the courses um, I I believe maybe when I was eight or nine or something I may have played actually when I was in Cincinnati as well so um, I, I think I have played it but it's, it's one of those things like I said one time when you're a little kid is, is nothing uh, compared to now when I'm 27 but um, but yeah, I mean, I've played ultimate Frisbee and stuff. So when he had said something about it, that was like my first kind of thing is I was like, Oh, so is that, you know, what, it, what is this? How do you play it? Kind of what are the rules? And um, I've actually, you know, told him three or four times because there is a nicer course around the corner uh, that, you know, he's got to come visit me and we got to, you know, we got to go and, and look, you know, give it a try, just see what it's about. Very, and, very um, careful. Disc golf is extremely addictive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well uh you know that's always or <clears throat> that is not always a bad thing sorry i'm stumbling over my words a little bit here and this is a sport that continues to grow every year i know it's i started 2019 and i got my pdga membership in 2020 at the end of it and it's in the 140,000s. and now we've already surpassed 200,000 pdgm members and that's just including people who you know signed up to be pdgm members to play tournaments and stuff that's not including people who just play it regularly just for fun so 
Well, and, and another question I have, you know, just based on the conversation we've had is, uh, you know, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about like, you know, who's the top player or, or, you know, uh, top brands or something. I mean, obviously, you know, people might think of football, basketball, you know, oh, well, oh, Adidas or Nike or uh, specific gear you use, you know, things like that. Why don't you kind of, you know, inform us about that? Or like, if there's a specific type of Frisbee, like, you you know, the NFL only uses certain balls made by a certain company. You know, I mean, I think that's a good conversation to have as well. Okay. So if you're familiar with the NBA and I'm not, I mean, at 27, I'm not sure if you remember the NBA when Converse was the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar. There was a time when, when, if you walked out on the court with Nikes, you would have got laughed at, right? Absolutely. Well, ball golf, it's kind of similar to disc golf and it's actually an older sport disc golf has been around since the 70s and the pioneers of disc golf was innova champion discs they kind of were the first ones that took frisbees and made them into discs and for the past 30 some odd years they've kind of been the trendsetter they're the converse of of disc golf then you kind of have these newer companies like Dynamic Discs, Discraft, um, MVP, Prodigy. They're kind of the new kids on the block. They've only been around 10, 12 years, but they're innovating and they're signing the top level pros. So, so they're kind of the Nike, when Nike signed Jordan, right? immediately everybody wanted to be like Mike. So they had to wear those shoes. They had to play their game like him. And that's right. kind of what new companies are doing. Innova, the older company, isn't innovating. They're just sticking on their top market share. And these new companies are paying these pros pretty outrageous contracts and getting and eating up that market share of all these new younger players that have came in during during the pandemic. So, so um, my next question on that is, you know, you're, you're saying these different things, uh, you know, as far as the disc. So, so is there like, you know, different sizes or different weights or something you can play with on the disc that these companies are selling? Because I mean, obviously again, going back to like a football or a basketball, I mean, typically if you're buying or, or what is used in the game is as a regulated, it's always essentially the same Are are your discs like, uh, do they uh, have a variety of spectrum? Like, I mean, you let, you keep saying golf golf uh, or uh, ball golf. Um, you know, you might have a nine iron and, and, a, and a putter and such like that. I mean, is that kind of more of the, like some of the Frisbees you ho- you almost have like a, like a, a, a putter Frisbee, so to speak, or, or, or do you have, uh, or a disc, sorry. Um, or, you, you know, is it, is it like, like I said, kind of more aerodynamic or uh, some have a better spin or, or different material they're made out of, you know, what's, what's like regulation versus maybe what you're comfortable with or, you know, those type of things. You want to handle that one, Josh? Uh, Pretty much all of the above, really. I mean, each disc is made specifically for certain shot shapes, um, how fast they get to the ground, how far they fly. I mean, it's endless. And they just seem to keep making different discs. When you think, oh, well, what else can they make? They make another one that does something totally different. And 
like dynamic discs just signed uh Ricky Wysocki signed a four-year four million dollar deal along with a two hundred fifty thousand dollar bitcoin bonus and he had what he when he played for Innova he had the pig so now that he's coming over they're creating him a disc that's sort of like the pig but it's got to be different because you can't uh copy the pig because it's you know then Innova's going to sue obviously right so just again you know because I mean, you gotta you gotta explain it like we're three year olds, you know. <laughs> but uh, what, what? So, what is the pig? The pig would be more of an approach disc. Like if I'm within, and again, this is me. All right, pros obviously can throw it a lot farther. If I'm within a hundred feet, hundred fifty feet, I'm gonna throw a pig, which is a closer approach shot to the basket. So, so just to, uh, again, just kind of trying to fill in the blanks and stuff so so on an average court you're you're strolling up right you got your shoes on you got your disc you got all that stuff uh you know you're getting to your first spot you're throwing from how far is the basket probably would you say on an average uh throw you know i mean i think a lot of a lot of golf courses you know a majority of the shots maybe oh you're looking at you know 300 yards or something or whatever else i mean on a on a disc golf course i mean what is a typical shot do you have um or, or no no i think i think i can actually answer myself on this one because i think you've told me i mean in that sense it is like you you know maybe a par three or a par six or something like that correct i mean where i believe you told me even there's one time where uh you're playing with a youngster uh who's who's local to your area who beat you <laughs> wink wink but uh you know he what hit one and two and it took you four or five or something and it's a par it's a par four par three and you know he basically eagled it is that correct oh yeah uh, not in local area no but he is young he's 15 years old and he was phenomenal he could launch this but yes he he destroyed me uh, new year's weekend yeah getting beat, <laughs> getting getting beat by kids i love to hear it um, hey it's a young it's a young man's game you get the 31 your body kind of oh here we go here we go yeah. i gotta play some kind of card i can't just say i got beat by a 15 year old well i mean <laughs> so, yeah because he beat you more than once so i mean so i can kind of give you the baselines that the pdga uses which yeah, the yeah PDGA, absolutely the professional disc golf association they kind of govern the amateurs and the professional side mm-hmm Outside of pros who throw the disc infinitely farther than any of us could ever imagine to throw, a par three is anything 400 feet or shorter. Gotcha. And a par, and, and he jumps you, up to a par four when it's beyond 400 feet, usually for the recreational amateur player. And then when you hit that 750 to, to 1,000 feet, that's going to be a par five. And and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, Josh was saying that basically the way the uh, one more time for me it's the it's the P is it the PDGA is that what P- you said PDGA yes. yes so so the PDGA uh, I believe he said it's what you if you win so many of your tournaments that you enter or you start winning a certain amount that they put you in like a bracket and you actually have to uh, opt into being pro was that I, I believe there's something no wrong. when you collect so much money if you gotcha. get to a certain rating money. yeah if you get to a certain rating and you decide to play a pro tournament and you collect money then you have to stay pro like you gotcha, can't go back gotcha. to amateur yeah i knew i knew we had a conversation like that so i wanted to i believe that's that right is that right rodney yeah i think the uh 
the new limits are three thousand dollars in a year. Okay. You make three thousand dollars or more, then you're no longer allowed to be an amateur ever again. Gotcha. Rodney's a certified tournament director, so he would know a lot more about that type of stuff than I would. <laughs> I just play the game. <laughs> I just play the game. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Love to hear it. So um so I guess you know, you guys have been doing this for a while and, and you're a, you know, certified tournament director. Um, do you see this as a game in five years, it's going to be big, 10 years, it's going to be big, or it's always going to kind of be where it's at. I mean, you said that it's been around since the seventies. I mean, is it kind of already peaked or do you think we're, we're hitting, you know, we're still in the, um, I don't want to say crawl to the top per se, but I mean, are we still on the rise? For this sport, I think we're in the toddler years. It would be the best way to to explain it. It took a lot of years for it to lose the stigma of just a family activity out mm-hmm. in the you know out in the park you see on a Sunday afternoon. Um, the past two years, disc golf's been featured on CBS and ESPN. Um, there's starting to be corporate sponsors outside of just the disc golf manufacturers like Bushnell range finders, um, Celsius drinks, um, like, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually really enjoy Celsius drinks. So it's funny. You, you like mentioned there's, that. there's some companies that are making disc golf specific shoes now that right. have specific lines for disc golfers. So we're starting to see the money enter the sport in the way that it needs to, for it to continue to grow. Well, and I mean, we all know in the, in the, great market of america that is uh money drives everything and and so if you're funneling uh money into something new like this i mean why wouldn't it bloom so i think i think you're absolutely right on that um you know obviously like you said it's in the toddler years and everything but if uh if you had to right now who would you say is like you know the best uh disc golfer ever or you know those type of conversation i mean do you even have those type of conversations when it's so new like this disc golfers do constantly mm-hmm. so currently the number one player in the world is ricky Wysocki, which mm-hmm. we discussed this contract earlier he right. just signed with dynamic disc for you know a million dollars a year to throw plastic so that's a pretty big contract in regards to you know a a sport still in its infancy right he's a two-time world champion you have to go back several years to paul Macbeth, who is a discraft rival company sponsored player he's won five world championships and he was pretty much brought I would call him the Tiger Woods of this sport as far as he energized he energized the youth. He brought in a whole new – he's the YouTube era disc golfer that everybody finds when they Google disc golf the very first time. He and you see, <laughs> you see him throw a disc. He's smooth. He's flashy. He's good on camera. He has a great personality. So he's kind of everyone that's currently in disc golf kind of their their greatest of all time he'd be their lebron goat i guess you could say but if you go back into the 90s whenever the sport was first starting to take take off and become what it is a man named ken climo did the unthinkable and he won 10 world championships in a row so 1990 through 2000 he didn't lose a world championship and then when he aged out and became 40 years old 
he went into what's called the Masters Division, where the old guys play, and he won two more world titles. So he has 12 world championships. He's kind of the Jack Nicholas, you know, one of the one of the older greats that right. the younger people don't get to see because YouTube really wasn't around then. We weren't videotaping this stuff and putting it out on the net. Right. Now, you know, my next question is because, you know, I, I've <laughs> I've had this argument. I mean, uh, and I, I'm sure, you know, you could have the same argument. I mean, who's the greatest quarterback? Who's the greatest running back? Who's the greatest cornerback basketball players? I mean, we could talk about this and, you know, people always go into, Oh, well, the rules are different. The competition's better. Oh, people weren't as tall back then or weren't as athletic. The playbooks weren't as, uh, you know, um, complex. Everybody just ran the ball. There wasn't passing, you know, whatever you want to make. I mean, in some ways they're excuses in some ways they're valid I mean obviously uh, when you're throwing it as many times they did back in the day but you have no form you're just kind of throwing a big egg-shaped ball and the the balls change uh, the way that you're allowed to do things the way you're allowed to line up I mean I even talked to Josh just the other day about how Devin Hester is arguably the greatest kick returner ever but you'll never see probably an elite kick returner like that again because you're no longer allowed to do wedges on punt and and kick returns and stuff so it distinctly game changed yeah, exactly. It distinctly changes the game. So, you know, my question to you is, is, are the courses the same? I mean, obviously if they got, you know, the gentleman won 10 titles and the courses are the same, the conditions are mainly the same. Uh, and really the only difference is the notoriety and the level of the game. I mean, undisputed to me, he's the greatest as an outsider looking in, but I mean, could you argue, because a lot of people do this with like Bill Russell, right? It's like back in the day, you say, oh, well, the competition wasn't as high because it wasn't as popular. I mean, do you see those kind of arguments? I mean, what's your opinion? And what is what are those kind of conversations like in the disc golf community? Is that the argument you hear then? The people that never saw Ken Climo play use the Bill Russell comment. Right. Like he didn't have any competition. It was him and a bunch of, you know, has-beens. Right. However, the disc technology back then in the 90s, they were throwing basically Frisbees that were slightly modified. It's nowhere near what it is now. They didn't have, you know, the wind tunnel technology, the flight simulators. Like, form hadn't even really been figured out yet. It was grab disc and and throw it however you can advance it down the fairway. Right. For the most part, the courses haven't changed um, on the major professional level. They may have added a little bit of distance to compensate for the disc technology. But Ken Climo was so far ahead of the next guy behind him. And he was well into his 50s still placing in the top 10 with today's current pros. Yeah. So So well past his prime, he was still better than 99% of the population. Right. So I was going to go ahead and make the argument. So he was the, the Jerry Rice of his era, you know, Uh, a guy who, who, you know, the longevity exceptional, the, uh, the consistency exceptional, the overall performance uh, that he put on, uh, unfortunately not on tape, but exceptional nonetheless, Um, you know, really great stuff. Um, 
I guess kind of my next thought and, uh, you know, Josh kind of asking you maybe a little bit more directly, um, you know, what is your opinion on, um, you know, if somebody's interested in, in disc golf, I mean, it, what would you say to them? What are your thoughts? Um, you know, that kind of stuff to them. Is it for them? If they're asking themselves, they're thinking about it. Oh yeah. Like, and when you start out, there's a good possibility you're going to be bad and just stick with it. All right. And as far, as far as like a company to choose disc, it don't matter. Just go find a starter pack somewhere, start throwing your putter. I mean, start with your putter. You don't need to worry about driver because the putter will show you every mistake you're going to make when you go to throw it, get on YouTube, look for form videos, you know, research them, do all, if you, if you're really interested in getting serious about it, research it and, It'll show you how to throw the disc, but yes, I say start with your putter, get to where you're throwing that straight consistently far, and then move up to your mid range and keep just keep rotating in. And then when you get to your driver, I mean, you'd be throwing pretty far. You'd be farther than what you thought. There's a kid actually locally. He started doing that. He throws his mid range about as far as I do my driver. And that's great. And I, I always go back and I think, man, I wish I would have done that first because Right now, I'm so in the habit of throwing a driver, it's hard to go back and fix things like that. So I'm having to kind of reverse it almost. Like, I just started throwing the putters within the past year, and I used to never touch one when it came to throwing one. And so, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of my next thought then would be for Rodney, um, you know, what, what would you say then kind of on top of that or adding on to that, uh, your maybe advice – to somebody who not only obviously is interested, you know, and like I said, kind of feeding off of what Josh said, but what is something that you could give advice to somebody who's maybe wanting to pursue this uh, more than just something to do in their spare time, who's looking at it maybe as something like, man, you know, I really love this or, or I want to be professional or I want to do, you know, I mean, you're, you're like you said, uh, you're what a, a course manager. So, I mean, I think you'd know a little bit more of the ins and outs. What do you think are the more uh, technical aspects uh, or what do you think you see the best um, young players doing the more elite players? Okay. So that's kind of a two-parter. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're wanting to get into it and you enjoy it, but you want to get better, I suggest you check out Facebook, look for local disc golf groups in your area. Check the course map signs when you get to the course. Try to find leagues. You know, there's leagues, there's there's women's leagues, there's junior leagues. There's all kinds of things where we bring people together so that they can play with each other. And it's really a social sport. Like you can go out by yourself and you can play all you want and play against the course and play against yourself. And that's great. But if you really want to advance, you need to play with competition that is better than you and learn what they know and why they pick the shots that they do, why the, they, you know, they do the things that they do. And before long, subconsciously, you'll be doing the same things that they do and you'll see yourself getting better. Right. So there's also there's tournaments all over the place. There is a wonderful website called discgolfscene.com. You can just it's free to sign up for and it shows you every tournament within a specified amount of miles from you that you can put in. And if you feel like you want to play in tournaments, 
there's low level tournaments where there's not much pressure. You get, you know, a disc and a, and a mini marker for, for signing up, usually 20 or $30 to play. And you can go and actually test your metal against some other people in like a non-threatening environment. It's called like a C tier. And as the tier letters get higher, B and A, the competition gets more intense. So it's kind of the typical, uh, you want to be better. You want to compete with, uh, with, with the better competition. You might want to, you know, test your metal against your older brother first or, you know, you know, play instead of, instead of going and and playing with the kids your age, you might want to play with the kids a a couple years older so you can pick up the tips and see what they're doing. So I, I really, I like that. I think that's relatable for a lot of people. Um, you know, my and there's, next- always, there's always going to be somebody at the course who is willing to take the time to show you how to play. They right. will probably hand you discs for free out of their bag and tell you to keep it and teach you how to throw it. That's awesome. There's always going to be somebody there. That's that's the beautiful thing about disc golf. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really awful. I think, uh, or not awful. Sorry, that that's really awesome. Yeah, I think. Um, I think community, especially in something that's in its, like you said, it's infancy or, you know, toddler stage. I think that that's a really important thing, whether it's uh, video games, uh, music, skateboarding, you know, whatever, you name it. I think that's a huge thing. Community, uh, in my opinion, is a huge driver. And um, a lot of times, especially as you age, um, whether you love something or not, I feel like a lot of times at the very least you stick around for the community. So I think that's a huge thing. Um, yeah. one other question that I think is pretty important or pretty big, uh, is you said less threatening, what can you, can you, uh, you know, talk about that a little bit. Is there, is there quite a bit of uh, shit talk as you go up? Is there, is it, it gets a little toxic? Does it? I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to get your, your opinion on that. You got any good stories? Josh, you got anything? I mean, I can take this, but yeah, go ahead. I don't have any, I've, I've always been the nice guy. I've got along with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So if you got a if you got a good story, yeah, go for it. Well, for any sport that is in its infancy, it kind of has to deal with masculinity and ego issues when it's a male and a female sport. And a lot of females feel pressure to the point where they don't want to come out on the disc golf course because they can't throw as far as the guys. They they don't want guys looking at them while they're playing. You know, they don't want to be a sexualized object. That's a lot of the complaints that I hear from the from the ladies. They like to play, you know, in their own groups. And it's hard and difficult to get women to feel comfortable because there are some bad apples. There are some guys that tend to make them feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm not going to give a specific example, but as a tournament director, I get event feedback after I host a tournament. And several times I'll hear – from a female that played that felt like, you know, she didn't have a good time because she just happened to be attractive and, you know, guys were being guys, so to speak. Yeah. You know, while we're here, we might as well touch on that. Um, You know, and one, one question obviously is going to be, do you believe that, I mean, if if they're not already, I mean, my my, uh, assumption was that they were, but, um, you know, if they're not, do you believe that we should be doing split brackets? I mean, in, in basketball, you have the NBA and the WNBA and so on and so forth across multiple sports. So 
Um, if not already, do you believe that it should be? So it's already that way. There's already female divisions. Mm -hmm. It's broken down by ability levels. It's broken down by age divisions, but the men's division actually isn't a men's division. It's it's MPO, which stands for mixed pro open. And the reason it's set up that way is to be forward thinking and encompassing. It allows females who don't feel challenged in the female divisions to, to match up against the males. It also takes care of the, the transgender and gender issues. Right. If you don't fit into either category, you can play MPO and there's not going to be an issue and it's not going to cause like social stigma for people right. that don't agree with it. So in that case, is, is the MPO, is that where specifically that you're finding that you're having the girls come and, and say, you know, oh, he, you know, he's kind of being predatorial, let's say. Um, usually it's, we don't have enough female participation to make all female cards for their female divisions. Mm -hmm. So they normally, they'll get paired with other men on their cards. Gotcha. And I mean, it's an easy fix. If we had enough female participation, there wouldn't be any males on their cards, but and when I say cards, usually there's four people per group that go out and play together during a tournament round. Right. And so if you don't you, have males, you have to you have to fill those slots with males. Yeah. So, so do you think, um, you know, in that case, is it would it be more beneficial to change the cards to like instead of four, like if they could muster say six, so instead of four and four requiring eight, you could get away with six. Do you think that would be a bit of a fix, or do you think, like, um, I mean, how do you think, like, do you do couples uh, tournaments at all or anything like that? I mean, is yeah, there... There, there, there's a male female doubles. Like, there's a whole lot of things aimed at trying to get females more comfortable it's just occasionally you get that that one bad apple yeah who, yeah you know no i mean i get it because you're gonna have that anywhere i mean it's it's kind of like a, something my dad's told me a lot of times and you know sometimes i kind of fight him off because i think depending on what exactly it is and the conversation sometimes i i don't really think that it applies but um obviously that's not entirely true um but like you know sometimes I've told, you know, told my dad, I, Oh, I'm, I'm planning on quitting this job. Or I don't really like this job. And, you know, he might say, Oh, well, why so? And I, I tell him, Oh, well, you know, because of this guy I work with or this girl I work with, or, you know, some situation of the sort. And, you know, he always would tell me, Oh, well, you're going to find that everywhere you go. And it kind of falls into something I've told my mom before as well. You know uh, that, you know, my mom would always say, Oh, the world's so bad. Now the world's so bad. Now I don't believe it's so bad. Now I believe that we live in a world where everybody's got a phone in their pocket or hand where they've got a recording device a camera so you know whatever you'd like to call it and on top of that you have four five six social platforms you are probably attached to that you can share that information that are attached to other people who can share the information and so on and so forth so you know something that might happen in you know your area might never really reach to my area but now it does and so everybody always sees and you know, um, if I do a really good job, my boss may say, oh, good job, but he also may not. Whereas if I wreck a, a company vehicle, 
well, he, yeah, he's going to chew my ass out. I mean, of course he is. And that's kind of, to me, it's a little bit of the stigma or what we do as a society where something bad happens. We're telling everything, something good happens. You know, some people hear about it or some people talk about it and, you know, often it goes unnoticed. So um, unfortunately in that scenario, I kind of feel like, like you're saying the one bad apple, but the one bad apple is probably getting noticed by more people. Whereas the good things that go along, there are not getting as much notoriety as they deserve, um, which unfortunately can hamper obviously the growth or, you know, the experience at the tournament or, you know, things like that. So I, I, I actually completely understand that. Um, do you think that, I mean, you said, a, you know, a female that's attractive or, you know, whatever else do you, do you think, I mean, you're, you, I don't know how involved or how close you are. Uh, we live in a society that I personally feel is a little bit of victimization. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and be a little risque with my comment here, but do you believe that in some instances it's a victimization situation or do you think more times than not, it's a valid complaint is, you know, that's, I think something that's important to touch on. I'm sure it's probably the same percentage of victimization as it is the same percentage of the bad apple versus everybody else doing, you know, the right thing, mm -hmm. because there's going to be bad apples on that side of it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, you know, I mean, like I said, the sports probably in my mind still in its toddler stage. Right. Um, a lot of the newer players, especially the younger players, they're brought up different than the older players. You know, the older players for good or for bad were brought up a certain way and treat women a certain way and treat kids a certain way. Mm -hmm. So and, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely regional too. You know, right. if you go to, if we go to play around in California, we're going to be treated different because we're from Kentucky, not because yeah, we're, yeah. not because absolutely. we're male. You right. know what I mean? No, absolutely. So, I think that's a hundred percent right. I think, you know, you're going to find that no matter what. I mean, if I go on vacation and I go somewhere that, you know, is, is far South or far West or something from my region, I absolutely would notice that. I think, you know, usually if you start talking, you know, pretty quickly people go, Oh, well, you know, you got a little twang or you don't, you, you, you know, you sound a little different. Where are you from? I think that's a very common thing. And, um, I think Josh, I see him, you know, giving me a little smirk there. I mean, uh, I, I've hung out with him a couple times and we, you know, we're, our kids had had a little fun gathering at, uh, at the water park. And, um, I've, I've said time and time again, but, uh, his little boy, you know, he, I mean, he's got one of the, the cutest little, uh, twangs <laughs> there is. I mean, he's, he's got it true and true. And, um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. And, um, I think that, you know, it's funny because we live in a society and I, I, I don't want to get too far away from disc golf, but just, you know, kind of things that are in my mind. I think, you know, on a podcast, you just kind of try to voice them as they come. But, um, you know, we live in a society where, where we're very far away, I believe, from the Martin Luther King uh, comment that, you know, I, I kind of hold near and dear a little bit to myself is, you know, that we're not going to be judged by the color of their skin or, you know, by the clothes they wear or something, but the contents of their character. And I think that that's, 
that's unfortunately even in 2022 an issue. Um, not going to get into racial, not going to get to any of the other issues like that. But I mean, just on a day to day basis, you know, I think it, it, uh, there's a lot of people who you may see at Walmart or you may see something like that who, you know, hey, maybe you don't know, maybe they work third shift, they just got up in their in their pajamas, but they're people that you know they'll make fun of or you know. It, it, I guess, take advantage of people at the, uh, at others dispense. Um, and they're not doing it, you know, sometimes it's a joke, right. But some people do it maliciously and they do it to hurt and to harm. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I totally understand it. Um, I guess if you have something to add on, feel free to, if, if you do not, uh, my next question, just based on, again, something you'd said was, uh, so do you think that some of the issues are more to do with, the younger generation than in that sense? I know you said something, you know, about age. Is that, is that something you tie into it as well? See, from, from my personal experience, I mean, I've lived all over the world from my time in the military to, you know, my time post-military and I've been wonderful to be immersed in multiple cultures. And I will have to say that, you know, as far as a country goes, we're probably the most diverse country that, you know, I've, I've been in as far as so many different dialects, so many different ways of raising your children, so many different religious beliefs, so many different colors of skin, you know, just all immersed in one culture. And I think the older generation, and I'm, when I say older generation, I'm not really referring to, you know, what everybody would call the boomers, but I'm kind of talking, you know, the 40 and up crowd right now the ones that were kind of raised through the technology shift. Yeah. Kind I of think, the, the 40 to 60 ish, 40 to 50 yeah. somethings. Yeah. Like I think we're way more, as you said, character based judges. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, because we've, we've been around enough to experience those other cultures and we realize that there's, you know, good people and bad people of all different variations. And just because you happen to be, uh, you know, a white male or have, because you happen to be a, you know, a gay black female, it doesn't change anything because that has nothing to do with your character. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I completely so agree I think, with you. I think like, but I think as we get into the younger generations, the social media, like the, the change in the way the news is presented to us as far as shock value over the top of, you know, critical thinking, here's the facts, figure it out for yourself, discuss it amongst your family. I think those people are more inclined to the victimhood as you think. Like if yeah. someone doesn't like me, they immediately assume it's because of one of their physical traits as opposed to their character. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, just to touch on that again, I, like I said, I don't want to get too far into any kind of race conversation or any kind of sexist or, you know, any of those things, because that's just not what we want to be about on this podcast. But I do think it goes without saying that, um, you know, in a lot of times I, I've I've had the conversation with, uh, you know, so, I, you know, I'm biracial, my family's mixed, you know, so on and so forth. And I think I've had the conversation where, you know, to me, and, and not everybody agrees, but to me, um, and some of the other people I have had conversation with, if you tell somebody, like, if I were to have a conversation with somebody, and I said, Oh, this person's a racist, 
the things that, that, that come out of that conversation, if you feel iffy about them, instead of feeling iffy about them and thinking about them, you immediately are going to go, oh, that feels kind of racially motivated. You know what I mean? Uh, or, you know, if you say, oh, geez, well, I think, I don't know, he's, he, he comes off as kind of sexist or she comes off as kind of sexist or something. Then if you say something and it's a little, a little risky, a little indifferent, and you may not mean it that way, it's what it's perceived as. And then I think that's the society we live in. And that's why I think you know, that's why I said that I, I believe that there is kind of a little bit of a victimhood here for those reasons. But um, I think we've got off topic a little bit. I'm, I'm not, you know, obviously upset about it. I think we're, you know, have, have a great thing going on here. But um, but yeah, I mean, if if that's everything, I think actually we're kind of kind of good to finish it up here. If, if there's any final thoughts, Josh or Rodney, um, which by the way, uh, Rodney Travis, love the, love the Ricky Bobby effect you got going on there. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. I think we had a pr- pretty, pretty great day. I, I you know, thank you for joining us and everything. All right. Appreciate it. Glad to be on. Y'all can invite me back anytime you want. And I can talk about more than just disc golf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think we'd really enjoy that. I think uh, I think it's nice uh, getting a different opinion, and um, nobody likes to be in a hall of echoes. So so it's awesome to get you know get a, a different set of uh, eyes and ears involved. And uh, while I'm here, you know, and I have Josh. Sorry about your bears, man. <laughs> yes. Is what it is. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, is what it is. Maggie, love it. Love you, it. you got a chance now. Yes, there, there's hope. Finally, love it, love it, love it. I just don't know if Justin Fields is your answer. He's my answer. He's well, he my answer. answer, but he might not be the Bears' answer. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But, I'm sorry, uh, I have to, I have to take a dig at Chicago fans. It just happens. No, you're good. You're good. I'm a Green Bay fan. I love to see it. <laughs> All right, one thing I do want to point out before we get we quit here is. Uh, if anybody's starting out and is looking for courses to play, you can actually download an app on your phone. It's called UDisc. It'll map out every course uploaded on there, almost in the country. And it and you click on it, it'll give you rating of people that's played it. It'll give you reviews. It'll even give you directions. It'll send it to your Google Maps or you know whatever navigation system you use on your phone, and it'll actually take you there. So just a little, little tidbit hint there if you're just starting to play. Um, but yeah, I think it was, this was a great episode again, Rodney, thank you for joining. Um, anybody who's listening, please come back, hit the little heart button, like us, follow us and, uh, yeah, had a great episode. Everybody have a great day.